if this microphone will work for me. A couple years ago, I was listening to a radio broadcast, and the broadcaster was talking about New Year's resolutions and how the average person will make a slew of resolutions and then not follow through with them. That's kind of the normal experience, and we all know this. It's, you set a resolution on year, uh, day one of the next year, and chances are by the end of the year, somewhere along the way, that resolution fizzled out, and you went right back to where you started at the beginning. And uh, so he was suggesting, and it's something that has stuck with me, that instead of writing down a bunch of resolutions you may or most likely will not keep, that each of us should choose one word. One word to be kind of your theme to carry you through in the new year. One word. And so each year, now since I was introduced to this concept, I've been praying and asking God, what is your word? What is the word that's going to carry me, carry us as a church through this next year? And in 2017, when I started this, there was the word was hope. And 2017 was a year that I really needed some hope. It was a year of refining, stretching. Uh, God did a lot in our family and in this church, and it was a difficult year. 2018, God moved us from the word hope to the word faith. And uh, Jake, I'm going to switch my... Check. There we go. All right. That should work better. In 2018, God changed the word from hope to faith, and we really needed faith as a church, because we went through a kind of a difficult season, but along the way, we also saw some pretty powerful miracles. We began to press into being a spirit-filled church and being filled with faith in the Holy Spirit and began to see God really begin to work and move in powerful ways. And this year, in 2019, I believe God wants to continue the work that he began in us and through us this last year with how he is revealing himself and the work that he's wanting to do among us. But I believe the word that he gave for me for this year is the word grow. Somebody say grow. Grow. And that's exciting because if, if the word is grow and we're talking about what we've left and to press into this new year, I can only imagine that what God has done in us and through us is going to grow. It's going to uh, move us forward. And I believe that God doesn't just want our, us to grow as a church numerically, but I believe God wants to grow us in all manner of ways. I believe he wants us to reach more people, to see more people baptized, more people filled with the Spirit. And also on a personal level, he wants each and every one of us to grow spiritually. I believe growth is a necessary part of life, not just spiritual life, but life itself, because anything that has life is going to grow, right? Anything that has life is going to grow. If you think about in conceiving a child, what starts off is a small little clump of cells over nine months grows into a fully functioning human body. That is astronomically amazing. It blows my mind what God does, even just in conception. On the other coin, especially around the holidays, if you think about your waistline, what starts as an average waistline, if left unnurtured and uncared for, might grow into something a little above average in a waistline, you know, and, uh, and if we're not careful, which is usually my experience. Why? Because I think my stomach has a life of its own. So, uh, 
You know, that, that is my experience. If you think of plants and just nature and vegetation, what starts off as a small seed, if given the right care and nurture, will grow into a plant. The care and nurture, like sunlight, soil, uh, water, all of these things will help mature a plant to go from a seed into a fully mature plant, which then produces an infinite amount of more seeds. But the difficulty about growth that is for us, and even the things I'm stating to you today, the difficulty about growth and the reason why many of us are resistant to growing is that growth requires change. Growth requires change, and change is uncomfortable. Change means different. Change means that, that we are pressing into something new that we may not understand or fully uh, comprehend. And change can be painful. Jesus goes as far to say this about uh, change and about growth. In John 12, 24, he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. And what Jesus is, he's talking metaphorically and spiritually here. We know from a scientific standpoint that seeds don't actually die when they're planted into the ground. That's part of the life cycle. The seed transforms into a plant. So Jesus is not making a scientific statement here. He's making a spiritual statement. And that spiritual statement, in essence, philosophically, is that the seed has to die so that the plant can live. The seed has to die so the plant can live. The, the seed has to change from its current state into something new for the next level or the next phase. This can also be seen in the caterpillar. Those little furry things that are crawling around the ground that kids love to play with. That caterpillar has to die so the butterfly can live. And what does it do? It goes into its cocoon. It goes through the different stages of metamorphosis. And on the other side is a beautiful butterfly. Before it can live as a butterfly, the caterpillar has to die. And so it is with us as followers of Christ. Paul says, the old is passed away, and behold, all things have become what? New, right? The old man has to die. The sinful nature has to die. Who we were before Jesus has to die so that we can then be reborn and come alive in Jesus Christ. But in order to go into the next step, to grow into the next phase, the next level of your faith journey, you have to leave where you are currently and go through a process of change to go to the next phase where God wants you to be. And sometimes, like Jesus described, that process can feel like dying. It can feel like dying. Sometimes the metamorphosis process to go from a seed into a flower can be a difficult experience, which is why many of us just remain the same. We remain the same. And I've observed many people and have had conversations with, with folks about faith and about their faith journey, and they just don't seem like they want to grow in their faith. They don't seem like they want to grow. They're comfortable right where they are. I've even heard some older saints at some point say, you know what, I've reached the age where I just want to ride this thing out. I just want to be comfortable. I want to find a place where I can be comfortable and, and just, you know, spend the rest of my days enjoying life. 
you know, the problem with that is, is that even though the seed does not die before becoming a plant, what is true and what is scientific is if the seed does not change or go through the process of change by a certain period of time, it will lose its viability. And when a seed loses its viability, it then ceases to be able to bloom, which means it then dies. And the same is true for our spiritual life. If we cease to change into the next phase, to grow in our relationship with Christ, to grow in our faith, we very well may lose our viability and our ability to honor the Lord with our faith, the ability to become who God has called us and created us to be. And I believe that is the story of many who get to the point where they have just enough God in their lives. You know what? I, I've been a Christian for a long time. I, I know the Bible. I know the stories. I've got enough God in my life. I've served enough. I've given enough. I've prayed enough. I've worshiped enough. Everything I'm doing is just okay. I don't need anything more, which is the very thing the church of Laodicea and Revelation said, that we are increased with goods and we need nothing, even God. And Jesus said, you are wretched, cold, naked, and blind. When you get to the place where you have enough, you really have nothing at all. There's more that God wants to give, more God wants to do, more God wants to teach, more God wants to show. This is why Paul in the New Testament says that we should keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we should press in to finish the race that's set before us, to strip off everything that slows us down and to press forward towards the mark and the high calling to the prize of God. Why? Because this faith journey, this thing of faith, it's not a destination. You don't just say, I become a Christian, therefore I've arrived. No, this is a journey, and at the end of that journey is glory when we see Jesus face to face. There is no age of retirement for a believer in Jesus Christ. There will be no place in your life where you have enough God, where you have enough faith, where you have enough love, where you've served enough and you've given enough. There's always something more. And God's will for each of us is that we would experience the abundant life. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. God's will is for us to have an abundant life. And as we pursue God in faith, as our faith grows, his desire is that we would experience that life. And through that life, our lives would bring hope and joy to those around us. Faith is the mechanism that God uses to lead us on a journey to go from who we were when we were saved to who we were called and meant to be as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And our faith is a seed. A seed that needs to be nurtured and cared for so that it can continue to grow into the plant that produces life all around us. The writer of Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to even please God. But God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What that tells us and what that says to us is that we can't be on God's good side without faith. And the faith is a journey of seeking the Lord and discovering who he is in a deeper in a more meaningful way along every leg of the journey. Faith is a seed that's meant to grow. It's meant to grow. And as it grows, it becomes a powerful thing in your life. We don't often think about this, but in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, as we're talking about faith and the seed 
right, as it's meant to grow. Jesus said this about what faith can do in your life. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. Well, if you don't have enough, that means you can get more, right? You can get more if you don't have enough. But then he says, I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Nothing would be impossible. Here Jesus uses the seed analogy for faith. That says there's seeds of various sizes and kinds. And each of us in each stage of our faith journey will have a measure of faith that's different maybe than the next. But here he says if we had a faith the size of a mustard seed, we could speak to a mountain, tell it to move, and it would obey our command. Not that we could ask God, God, if it's your will, maybe, if you get around to it, and, and uh, I did enough good deeds for today, if you could just kind of shift that mountain over to the side, maybe, then, then it would move. No, he said you could speak with authority of Jesus Christ and say, move mountain, and it's going to go. And see, the thing is, is that there are many of us in this room today that have a mountain in our lives that need to go. You have a mountain that you're facing. You're trying to climb. You have a mountain that is in your way from experiencing the life God intended for you to live. But the problem is you don't have enough faith to command it to go. Because your faith has not been nurtured and cared for and enabled to grow. You need a mustard seed sized faith, which is really small, in order to move the mountain. But in order to get it, your faith has to grow. And as our faith grows, we please the Lord even more and more. Now, in high school, math was not really my best subject, really isn't even today. I'm not a math whiz. I didn't, you know, get straight A's in math. It was a subject I struggled with uh, just about at every level. But the, my most favorite area of mathematics that I studied in school was algebra. I don't know, geometry was the devil, but algebra, that was okay. And uh, I could do algebra because there is a trick or a key to algebra. It's called the algebraic equation. You see, with the algebraic equation, if you had the equation, that was like your roadmap to solving the problem. If you knew the order of operations and you knew the equation, you could solve any of the problems that you were facing in uh, the algebra class or in that math class. And there is an equation in the scriptures. There is an equation for growing your faith. There's an order of the operation. And if you know the equation to grow your faith, then you can begin to start that growth process even now by implementing that equation in your everyday life. And God wants you to grow your faith. Paul, in Romans 5, 3 through 5, goes as far as to tell us what the result is if we implement this equation in our life. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. You see, God does not lead us into temptation, but he allows trials, he allows things to happen in our lives to test our faith, to try our faith. That's a, a term that references purification. When you have gold, you would put it into fire to test or to try the gold to see how pure it is and to knock off all the impurities to produce the pure gold. The metallur metallurgists and others would do this in order to create the most pure process or pro product that they could. And God does the same thing with us in our faith. He sends us through trials. He sends us through 
times of testing and refining to try our faith. And here's what Paul says, that we can rejoice when we are tried, when we go through trials. Why? Because it helps us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. In other words, when we are tried and we are tested and we implement this algebraic equation, this faith equation for growth, then what's going to happen is our faith is going to grow. We're going to become stronger. We're going to be able to endure. We're going to have better character, be able to honor God with our lives and be holy as he is holy. And we're going to have more hope in our lives than we've ever experienced. And then look what he says. He says, we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You see, the thing about a growing faith is the more faith you have and the more your faith begins to grow in your life, even through the difficulties of situation, through the pain of change, something beautiful results in a growing faith. What results is not just stronger character, not just endurance, not just confident hope. Those are all the fruit of faith that's growing in your life. But what results is that you have a deeper and more intimate knowledge and experience with the love of your Heavenly Father. You experience God in a deeper and truer way in your life. He has sent the Holy Spirit to fill you with his love. And that love is experienced in a deeper and more meaningful way as your faith grows and you press in to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul's telling us here, you can have a more meaningful and intimate experience with God as your faith grows. As your faith grows, so does your experience with God. And I know I want my experience with God to grow. I'm not the model Christian in it by any stretch of the means. And you might say, well, what do you mean? Well, I have sinned just like anybody else, right? So this message is for me just as it is for anyone else. But my desire is for my faith to grow. My desire is that my character would grow. My endurance would grow. My desire is that these things would be evident in my life. And, and I was privileged for the Holy Spirit to lead me into just a new way of communing with him. Even this last year, I've discovered uh, meditation as being another form of prayer and spending time with God. And through that, I've been able to experience God in a deeper way. Sometimes I'll, I'll stop to go through a, a meditation on scripture and just be brought to tears because of the love I experienced from God in that moment. And you know what? I'm hungry for that. I want that more and more in my life. And I know that God has that for you as well. So let me give you this formula for spiritual growth, for faith growth. Here's the formula, and it's very simple. This is not going to blow anybody's mind, but it's very simple, and it's something we just need to remind ourselves as we press into growth or growing this year. Here's the formula. It is conviction plus obedience equals growth. Conviction plus obedience equals growth. Now, I want to define the terms here as, as we're talking about these words, because sometimes we can get confused as to what we're talking about. When we're talking about conviction, there are really two ways to think about this. The first and most common way is the def to define conviction essentially is conviction is an intense belief that governs your thoughts, your attitudes, and your behavior. 
Your convictions govern your thoughts, your attitudes, and behavior. And we can see this a lot, especially during the political season as candidates are running for different offices. You often vote based on your conviction. This candidate supports what you support or is against what you're against or you're not going to vote for them because they're not for what you're against and not against what you're for, you know, and vice versa. So we, we see that a lot in the political scene, that we might go someplace because we think it's a good place or we might avoid someplace because we're convicted and think that's not a good place to go. Our convictions guide and govern our lives. But there's another type of conviction that we talk about in the church and what we're talking about here in this formula, and that is spiritual conviction. This is different than just an average, ordinary conviction you may have in your life. When we're talking about spiritual conviction, what we're talking about is divine redirection that aims to set you on a different path for your good, God's glory, and the benefit of his kingdom. Divine redirection that aims to set you on a different path for your good, God's glory, and the benefit of his kingdom. Spiritual conviction is the prompting of the Holy Spirit to tell you that maybe, hey, that's not right for you. You shouldn't do that, or you shouldn't go there, or you shouldn't be with that person. Or, hey, here's an opportunity you need to take advantage of. Stop what you're doing and do this. God might want you to surrender your current vocation to follow him in another way towards another plan. Or God might want you to give sacrificially when you had plans to spend your money some way else. But there's that divine redirection that I'm heading in this way, but yet God is trying to turn me another direction. Spiritual conviction is a divine redirection that aims to set you on a different path. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about conviction. Then there's obedience. And obedience is simply walking in agreement to God's truth according to his will and submitting to the spiritual convictions he brings into your life. That's obedience. Amos 3.3 says, can any two people walk in the same direction and not be in agreement? It's a rhetorical question. And the answer is no. If you're going to walk in God's ways, if you're going to honor God with your life, you've got to walk in his direction. You have to walk in agreement with what he says, what his will is, and the convictions he brings into your life. So spiritual conviction plus obedience equals growth. What this means practically is that your thoughts, your attitudes, your behaviors need to be biblically sound. They need to be spiritually driven. When thoughts creep into our mind, we need to pull out a 2 Corinthians 10.4 and take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. We say, no, I'm not going to think that thought. I bind that in Jesus' name, and I command that thought to go. We allow the Holy Spirit to redirect our behaviors. We allow him to be the rudder to the ship of our lives. We repent when we need to repent. We forgive when we need to forgive. We speak when we need to speak, or we hold our peace when we should hold our peace. And again, though none of us do this perfectly, I don't do this perfectly. If we are intentional to pursue an obedient life according to the convictions of the Holy Spirit, we will begin to see fruit that comes from a growing faith manifest in our lives. And here's how it works. The Spirit redirects, and you just simply submit to it. The Spirit redirects, and you simply submit to it. When you're having your personal time with God, which we, each of us should be doing each and every day, getting into his word, reading 
the, the word of God, allowing God to speak into our lives, praying as we read. And we read a scripture on, hey, here's how you should speak. Then we say, okay, that's how I'm going to speak. When the Spirit presents an opportunity, maybe you're in the grocery store and you got all your groceries lined up and you have you know, just enough for an extra piece of candy, but you see the person in front of you struggling to find change and the Spirit says, hey, you should give them the change, then you submit to it. If you had a five-year plan with everything worked out, all the details of where you're going to be, what you're going to do, how much money you're going to have saved, and the Spirit redirects you to go to another direction and submit to His plan, then you submit to it. Whenever there is a spiritual conviction, you become obedient. You say, okay, Lord, I'm yours. I'm your servant, and your faith will grow. Because in the act of obedience... And going through the difficulty of change, there was something will begin to be produced in your life. And that is a greater experience with God as your faith grows. Because you'll begin to see how when you release the control over your own life and submit it to him, how he'll begin to work and move in a powerful way. And that will strengthen your faith. That will strengthen your trust in God. That will strengthen your knowledge of who he is. In Matthew 13, Jesus kind of tells one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the parable. It's called the parable of the farmer scattering seed or the parable of the seed. And here he really talks about uh, three different people or types of people uh, and the way they respond in faith. And we're just going to read this and kind of talk about it as we uh, begin to head to close. But uh, in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into the boat. And then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil and with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the other tender plants. Still other seeds fell on the fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And that's really the goal, right? That as, as we plant seeds, as we uh, walk in faith, that we should grow, we should produce a flourishing crop with our lives. And that's what God wants to do in us. That's what God desires for us. That's what God wants us to experience is a growing faith that produces many blessings. But the problem with growth, again, as we read right here just in the, from the Lord's story, is not is there just the potential for growth, but there are also inhibitors to growth. Somebody say inhibitors. There are inhibitors to growth. Growth is not easy. And really the main area that, that I see and experience in my own life that's an inhibitor to growth is that we stop at spiritual conviction and don't move towards obedience. That we get the spiritual conviction, the Spirit speaks, but that's as far as it goes. We don't yield to that. We don't submit to that. We don't say, okay, God, I'm going to do this in spite of my fears and whatnot. We, we don't make it as far as obedience. And the question is why? Why does that happen? And I think there are many different reasons that we stop at spiritual conviction. And the first one, like I said just a second ago, the first one really is fear. 
Fear is one of the main inhibitors to growth in our faith. Why? Because many of us, we're just full of anxiety about what is not in our own control. We, we try so hard to control our lives, to ensure security. We try to find security in all these different things that, that really in the scheme of eternity don't matter very much. We forget that God is sovereign. And what that word means is that God's in control of everything. You can't take a breath without God's permission. God is in control of everything. We feel like we're in control, but we're in control of nothing. But since we desire to have that feeling like we're in control, anything that makes us feel like we're out of control brings anxiety. It brings fear. And often, for us to obey God in faith, we have to release control and give that control to God. And so we stop and don't make it all the way. Then there's the unknown, something else that we fear. We fear what might hurt us or overwhelm us. I remember when my wife and I knelt down to pray about the potential of starting this church. Before we got to even that point, there were so many fears of what might go wrong, what, what could happen that swirled through my mind that I'm telling you almost stopped me from, from stepping forward and doing that. Everything from my fear of public speaking to all the ways that I didn't feel qualified as a leader to all these different things were swirling through my mind. And I thought, if we do this, this could go really wrong. This could go badly. Fear of the unknown is an inhibitor to growth, and we fear the unknown because we don't trust God. Our faith isn't in who he is. Then we have past pain. Some of us have been hurt in the past, and we are afraid to be hurt again, to be let down again, to be disappointed again. And so we put our stuff out there once. It didn't go the way we thought it should, and so we're too afraid to step out again. Another inhibitor to growth is doubt. This is something that Satan is really good at. He did it in the Garden of Eden and caused the fall of mankind. We doubt that God is truly good. We doubt that God is faithful. And we doubt that he'd even come through on his promises. We doubt God is good. We doubt that he's all-powerful, that he will do what he said he will do. And so since we doubt God, it's hard for us to muster up enough faith to be obedient. Some of us have identity issues. We don't know that God not only loves us, but he actually likes us. He wants to hang out. He wants to be with us. He likes who we are. He's pleased with us. And we question ourselves, does God, can God even really love me? Does God even love me? And that doubt of, of who we are in Christ, those identity issues prevent us from moving forward in our faith. There's the knowledge of God's promises. One of the biggest epidemics we have, and you can go online and see the statistics, one of the biggest epidemics we have in the church today is biblical illiteracy. People don't know the word. People don't know. Our kids can't even quote verses from the Bible because our parents can't quote verses from the Bible. You don't know who God is because you don't know the word. And if you knew who God was, you knew you could trust him in all things. You would know that he said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything you need will be taken care of. But we don't know him, so we don't trust him. You don't know the word. And we're losing generations of teens and millennials to weird and crazy belief systems and modern versions of Christianity because they don't know who God is because they've not been introduced to 
for who God is. Why should I trust somebody I don't even know? That's a tall ask. And the last one, the last inhibitor for growth is that our hearts are just not fertile soil. We're just not fertile soil. We're resistant to allowing God to speak and to change any part of our lives. Because deep down, we really just don't want to change. We don't want to change. When revealing the point of this parable to his disciples, the reason why some people don't understand, the why the people don't understand or get what he's teaching, Jesus reveals beginning in Matthew 13, verse 14, he says, this fulfills the prophecy of what Isaiah said. He said, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. They hear his voice. They see the miracles, but they just don't get it. And here's why. Verse 15, he says, read this with me. For the hearts of the people are what? Hardened. You see it, but don't believe it. You hear it, you don't get it. Why? Because the hearts of these people are hardened, and because the heart is hard, the ear cannot hear, the eye cannot see, the mind cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Because of the hard heart, your eyes don't see and your ears don't hear. And what is powerful here is what Jesus says at the end of that statement. He says, they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Did you know Jesus wants to heal you? He wants to heal your burdens. He wants to alleviate your struggles. He wants your mountains to move in your life. This is what God wants, but he can't do it because you won't let him because your heart is hard. There's a hard heart. And so seeds cannot take root. The plants cannot grow because the heart is hard. It makes, it's impossible to sow seed into a hard soil. And a hard heart makes the ears deaf to spiritual conviction and the eyes blind to faith opportunities that will change your life. And many Christians today want a religious experience, but they do not really want to go through the change that will cause their faith to grow. And so they harden their hearts against the leading and conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Paul talks about the state of believers, the state of the church in the last days in 2 Timothy 3, 3 through 6, in the state of our culture. And as I read this, I can even see some of that just in my own life. But in verse 3, he says about people in the last days, they'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. And they will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And I think that if you're honest, that you'd admit you'd had some pride, that maybe you're not as forgiving as maybe you should be. I think we could see traces of that in each and every one of us. But the part that, that kind of gets me the most that we can see in this list is the last part, and it stands out the most to me, because it says they will act religious. What's that mean? It means they will go to church. They'll listen to the podcast. They'll listen to the sermon. They'll read scripture. They'll even pray. But at the end of the day, 
They really don't have an interest in going deeper with the Lord or allowing their faith to grow because where they are is comfortable enough and it doesn't require change because change is uncomfortable and causes pain. And the thing is, is we opt for facades of holiness many times while at the same time rejecting the very power of God that could make us holy like him. They will reject the power of God. They'll opt for a religious experience, but reject the power of God, the power of a life that's growing in faith. And Paul here, he says, stay away from people like that. Stay away from people who act religious, but deny the power of God in their lives. Why? Why would he say stay away from people like that? And I believe it's because he doesn't want their apathy and their phony religion to become contagious. And the word is written under the inspiration of God. And I believe this is God's word to his church. It's like, don't let your faith become a phony facsimile of the real thing. Press into my faith. Allow your faith to grow. Allow my power to be evident in your life. Don't choose religion. Choose a relationship that's set on fire. God knows what he has planned for you. It's greater than what your comfort can bring. A comfortable religion doesn't please the Lord, but a surrendered heart and a growing faith pleases the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And God wants you to experience him more and more every day, to fill your heart with his love, to fill your heart with his peace and with hope, to lead you to an abundant life, but that only comes on a growing faith journey. And for your faith to grow, your heart has to be a quality soil. It has to be ready to receive seed. Jesus reveals the meaning of each soil in verse 18. And here's what he says. He says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seeds that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the devil or the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. We talked about doubt as an inhibitor. It is a powerful inhibitor. And doubt keeps us at arm's length from embracing the truth. When we hear from God and the truth is planted in our hearts, the enemy comes in and starts implanting thoughts of doubt. You're not good enough. Why would God choose you? You can't do that. You can't trust him. Is that even real? Does, will that even really happen? Would it even work? And all these things begin to flood our minds. They keep us at arm's length and keep us from a growing faith. And the enemy steals the very thing that God wants to use to grow us and to do powerful things in our lives. He steals our faith seed. Verse 20, he says, The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. These are those who maybe have an emotional experience, but they don't grow in their faith. They don't move forward in their faith journey. They have all the emotional experiences they can when they gather for church, but that's as far as it goes. And when problem comes, the first thing they give up is their relationship with God. They stop praying. They stop reading. They stop attending. Why? Because, well, that stuff didn't work. They give up when problems come, and they go back to what they've always known. That's a life far from God where they invite more and more discouragement and brokenness into their lives. 
Verse 22, it says, The seed that fell among thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. This soil represents people who are overcome by fear because faith has not grown to trust the Lord. Faith has not grown to hold fast to his promises. And because you know he's faithful, you would trust him, you would step out. But here they don't know he's faithful. They don't trust him, and fear allows, uh, they're allowing fear to overwhelm them and pull them away, especially in the area of their finances and things in this world, in this life that has made them feel secure. When their security in this world is threatened, they shrink back and turn away from God rather than pressing in and trusting that he would perform and do miracles in their lives. And finally, in verse 23, it says, The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. These are those whose hearts are fertile soil. They respond to spiritual conviction with obedience, and the result is the fruit of a growing faith. They are blessed, God is glorified, and the people around them are much better off. The kingdom of God is increased. And I believe God wants to bring growth into our church this year. Again, I believe he wants us to grow in numbers, salvations, baptisms, healings. I believe God, in my heart, wants us to launch a new youth group this year and begin to build a youth ministry. I believe he's going to send us a youth pastor or family, which is desperately needed. I think God has a lot of things intended for us. But I believe it starts with, in the most important place that growth begins, is that he wants each of us to grow spiritually. He wants our faith to grow. He wants each of us to be filled with his Holy Spirit. He wants to be able to do more miracles and help us experience his love in a greater way and help other people experience his love in a greater way as we step out in faith. I believe that God wants more and more of us to encounter his heart, that more of us would be lit on fire for the kingdom of God, that God would be glorified more in this community because of the faith that's growing in this place. I believe that that's what God wants to do. But it begins with you and me. And the question I have for you as we come to a close is, are you ready to grow? Are you ready? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this moment as we go into a time to respond to the Lord. Holy Spirit, just... Draw every heart right now. Speak. We're a captive audience. You know where each of us are in our faith journey. You know whose faith seed's been stolen by the enemy and they're racked with doubt. You know whose seed has only gone so deep. And the moment a problem comes, it gets choked out. You know God who's overwhelmed with fear because their security is in jeopardy. And rather than pressing in and pursuing the kingdom of God and your righteousness, they are trying every which way to maintain control of their lives. 
God, you know our anxieties, you know our fears. And I just pray today, God, through the Holy Spirit, that you would supernaturally touch each and every one of us, each and every heart in the areas that have been hardened. And that you would make us fertile soil. So that when you speak, we are ready to obey. Because it's in the obedience, it's in that area of discomfort when we're not quite sure, but we choose to trust you anyway, that the miracle happens, that the growth happens, where we get to see you fulfill your word, and it increases our trust, our strength, our endurance, and our confident hope. And I know, God, each of us, you're ready to take us into that next phase in our spiritual journey, that next leg in our faith life, God. But for, for many of us, God, it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to step out because we've spent so much time trying to control in our lives to then say, okay, God, I give it to you. It's a scary thing. But, God, I know just from my own experience and the things we've experienced as a family, when we lay down and we say, okay, God, our lives are yours. In that moment in the grocery aisle when you say, okay, pray for this person, and we say, okay, God, I'll obey. That's where the miracles happen. That's where the joy comes as we get to see people encounter your heart. So God, I pray that you would touch the hard places in our hearts and then you'd make them fertile soil. And you put a passion and a driving desire for our faith to grow so that we can walk in agreement with you. And we can join you in the growth that you have prepared for us this year. Church, are you ready to respond to spiritual conviction with obedience so faith growth can happen? If you're here today and you're saying, you know, Pastor Joey, I want my faith to grow. I want to grow not only so I can please the Lord, but so that I can be a light to the people that are in my community, the people in my family, so I can make an impact for the kingdom of God right in my sphere of influence. I, Pastor Joey, I want my faith to grow because there's a mountain in my life that I need to move. If that's you here today, I just want to pray for you as we bring this service to a close. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, that's me. I want a faith to grow. I want my faith to grow. Amen. Amen. Father, I just, I pray for the fertile soil. I pray for the hearts here, God, that are ready, are ready to press into that next phase in life, the next phase in their faith journey. And God, just the humility and the, just the vulnerability that it is just to lift a hand up and say, that's what I want, God. I just pray your spirit would fall and just touch their lives right now, God. I pray, God, that your spirit would be the loudest voice that they hear. I pray, God, that you would fill them with a hunger for your word, a hunger for your presence, a hunger to, to grow in their faith, God, and that they would have the strength and the desire and the motivation, God, to take advantage of every opportunity you bring their way. God, there would be no confusion or doubt 
I pray against doubt, God. I pray against every inhibitor of faith growth, God. I pray against fear in their life in the name of Jesus. God, I just speak peace over them right now, God, that, that your peace would fill their heart and mind. God, I pray joy would fill them like they haven't experienced in a long time. God, I speak to the mountain in their life, and I command it to move in the name of Jesus. God, we just agree together that this mountain is going to move. God, if it's a relationship issue, it's gone right now in the name of Jesus. Forgiveness is going to come. Restoration is going to come in Jesus' name. God, if it's a health issue, I command that mountain to move in the name of Jesus. And I just speak healing and wholeness over that life right now, God. If it's a financial worry, God, I command that mountain to move. And I just proclaim a financial blessing to pour out into their lives, Lord, that you'd open the window of heaven and you'd pour out a blessing they could not contain. God, I just declare your word over them. I declare your word over them, your promises over them, God. Your word says you rejoice over us with songs of joy. God, let them feel that joy being cast over them right now in the name of Jesus. God, to the one that doubts your love for them, God, I pray your love would just touch them right now. That they'd receive a touch from you, Father. Lord, as we press into this new year in 2019, may it be a year of exponential spiritual growth. Exponential faith growth. Exponential blessing. Exponential miracles, God. And we just praise you for it. We give you the glory. We give you the glory. You are worthy. You are worthy. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, we're going to receive our offering. We thank you for being faithful in your tithes and offerings. But for the next few moments... If you need to respond to what the Lord has spoken to your heart and come forward for prayer, we're going to just take some time to pray, and we'll pray for you. If God has done a work in your life and you want to share, the microphone is down here. You're welcome to share a praise to encourage the body, to encourage the church. But as the offering bucket's being passed, it's just stay in an attitude of prayer. But if there's something on your heart that you'd like prayer for, now's the time. Stand up to your feet and come forward. And we'll pray for the next few moments before we close our service.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for peace that passes all understanding. Thank you for love and compassion, for healing and for miracles. Thank you for family and friends. Thank you for unity in the Holy Spirit. Thank you for being here and for your word and for your promises and for your faithfulness. God, thank you for every good gift. And I just pray, Lord, as we end this year, we would end it focusing and keeping our eyes fixed on you, the one who makes all the difference in the world. Lord, we long for your return, and we pray that you would come quickly. But until then, God, may we be found faithful and that our faith would continue to grow until we see you face to face. We praise you and bless all in attendance. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. We'll see you next week.